0: Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents! Welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host Santosh Sankar, and with me today I have a luminary in the industry, Tom McLeod, founder and CEO of McLeod Software. Welcome, Tom.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on your program.
0: Yeah, you know i've I've been uh, looking forward to coming down here. We're we're here in in your offices, um, recording this episode, and and would love to you know start off by understanding what what your personal story was how did you ultimately you know get into the supply chain world get around trucks brokerage and then ultimately build a TMS business
1: well um, it really starts with good timing um, which I was vaguely aware of um, in the early to mid 80s as uh, computer systems were really rolling out for the first time to most businesses. Um, it's when computers began to b- uh, be affordable. And uh, thankfully at the time, there were no off-the-shelf packages. So uh, everybody was starting at almost Greenfield uh, kind of a situation. Uh, I liken it a little bit to starting a, an internet business in 97 is, is what that would have been, uh, you know, a similar... Or a mobile app business in 2008, you know, similar, Mm -hmm. where everybody's uh, starting at zero. The tools were all new. Um, In addition to that, in the early to mid-80s, the effects of rate deregulation on transportation were really having a um, disruptive effect. And uh, to me, uh, disruption, when you say disruption, it's another word for that is opportunity. It's the disruption that creates opportunity. Uh, and so it was opportunity for me. Now, me personally, uh, I um, had been in sales for several years and was reasonably successful, but realized I didn't enjoy doing it on a full-time basis and was interested in doing something more technical. And thankfully had a mentor friend who was working on an idea for transportation. Actually, his idea revolved around uh, a new structure for LTO freight rating. And he needed a programmer. So he gave me the opportunity uh, to develop uh, some programming skills. And I started reading the industry publications. And uh, that's how I became uh, connected to the uh, trucking and transportation
0: industry. So, so when you started, there was no uh, existing link to, to this world. You were brought into it by, by your mentor, it sounds like. That's right. Yeah,
1: I uh, had not spent time in transportation. Uh, but uh, anyway, I uh, had the luxury of being able to read all of the uh, trade periodicals cover to cover. I was reading all of the uh, computer periodicals as, as everything was new. All the products, again, all the languages uh, were new. Thankfully, that's something I you know, was able to pick up uh, very quickly, uh, but also, also able to read all of the uh, uh, transportation industry trade publications and was able to see trends and some of the things that were happening and ultimately— um, take advantage of those.
0: So you, you approached it with a fresh set of eyes and we always say, you know, sometimes when you have opportunity, just take somebody who has not been in the weeds or around it for a long time to approach it, you know, fresh. What was that aha moment like as you were, you know, learning about the industry and realizing how massive the opportunity really is to, you know, bring software here? the world of trucking and and brokerage
1: well i'm not sure um massive i i I understood that uh trucking and transportation was actually a small niche market um the big players weren't uh, out developing you know trucking uh package but it was uh certainly big enough and uh certainly had some big needs and there were hundreds of the truckload carriers opening up uh, during that time period Uh, and so that created um a lot of opportunity um, initially the first year or two I you know wasn't exclusively focused on uh, transportation um, I, I had like I say been in sales so I had a, a lot of other business contacts in the area and uh, as these businesses were trying to install computer systems I came in and did some consulting some custom programming work for uh, several different types of businesses uh, but after about a year, I could see that if you didn't specialize in a particular industry, you'd never keep up. You mm-hmm. couldn't, you couldn't uh, keep up with the needs of multiple industry segments. You really needed to focus. And again, I want to give credit to my wife for that. She has, uh, I've, I've, for a long time, had been kind of a jack of all trades, master of none kind of approach to, to things. And, and she had demonstrated for me several times the power of focusing all your efforts in one uh, area. And uh, as I began to understand that, and uh, you know, we, we closed out all the other work we were doing just to focus on transportation and uh, since then
0: have dedicated the company to it. And that's worked out so far. What was that first sale like that you did with the first version of your software when you were the one likely selling, convincing the buyer that this is something they have to have?
1: Well, the initial sales were, um, you know, it was it was interesting, and really there were a series of several customers that helped uh, to evolve the initial software product. Uh, we actually had to rewrite uh, two or three or four times uh, initially, as we were, you know, coming up with the um, best programming language to use the best development environment to use so we had uh, input and experience with uh, several companies uh, but you know there was no portable system even at the time and so uh, from a sales standpoint I'd, I'd come in and the first thing I'd do is just be to walk through the company and say say what are you what are we doing over here mm. um, okay we're planning the trucks and I would talk them through. Said, so, so you do this, you do that, and they'd say, Yeah, that that's right. And, um, you know, I'd say, All right, what's happening over here in this area? Well, here's this is where we do the freight bills. I said, Okay, and, and you probably rate them by the mile, and then you probably have accessorials. They'd say, Yeah, yeah, that's that's what we do. And then walk over to another area, what's happening here? Well, this is where we pay the drivers. I said, Well, you're going to pay them percentage or by the mile, and yeah, how, how, much, how much do you pay for? Loading and unloading, you know, et cetera. And uh, so by the time we sat down in the conference room, they said, Well, this guy seems to understand transportation. Yeah. Uh, he's, well, you know, sounds like he knows what he's doing. Well, I didn't have any software to show, so I'd pull out a legal pad and start drawing circles. I say, Okay, here's the way the software is going to work. And you're, it starts out in the dispatch system. You're going to put the information, and that information is going to flow through to uh, billing. That's going to become a freight bill. Uh, you're going to keep up with accounts receivables, um, and uh, that information is going to become a, a, a settlement to the driver. You're going to be able to pay your drivers right out of the system, print the, print the driver paychecks. Um, you know, it's going to calculate the taxes, print the 1099s, and take a lot of administrative uh, work off of you. And that's, you know, a large part of what was happening in those uh, early years was we were replacing whiteboards and, you know, doing it doing things on a typewriter. Yeah. Uh, so that is you know, how the initial sale process
0: uh, was and, and developed from there. And you know, that, that customer discovery uh, piece is so important. Was that something you, you naturally realized you had to do or is it something your, your mentor encouraged you to do? How did you have that realization that you have to sit there that deeply and find those champions who would be willing to let you into their business and, and, and shadow their people? Because oftentimes startup founders struggle with that today.
1: Well, um, we had uh, some initial success with my um, mentor partner's um, LTL freight rating idea. But when that stalled and I began to develop this idea for doing a um, package for the truckload carriers, that's when he asked me to take over the office lease. And, you know, I was stuck trying to come up with a company name. And, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time to put yeah. the name on the door so that you know, I was fairly young, and uh, you know, it felt like it'd be helpful for people to believe I was really the one in charge. Um, but um, um, in in terms of uh, you know, how do you de- win somebody's confidence, where they're going to be willing to spend money on something that really I couldn't show them, uh, and in some cases, the you mm-hmm. know, software didn't even exist yet. Uh, I, I knew it was important to establish credibility. So uh, while I was also still doing programming, uh, it turned out to come in pretty handy to have a sales background. so I understood that you know, you, you know asking questions is, is necessary number one to you know figure out what the expectations are from the customer but number two that also is, is an important part of establishing uh, credibility so um, you know having that background and training really stood me in good stead. Uh, I was trying to hire salespeople um, almost from the beginning, but it turns out it was easier to hire technical people. Ooh. And we had some very bright people come in and help uh, develop the uh, um, what became our initial package um, and took it much farther than I would have been able to, um, you know, coming out of the gate. Um, but I did manage to sell our first 50 systems, you know, over a, over a five-year period. And that gave us kind of the beachhead uh, in the uh, trucking market, uh, which uh, and we have been able to grow it from there.
0: So, sh- shifting gears a little bit, and and you alluded to some of this when you talked about the importance of focus and how your wife encouraged you to focus the the organization. Um, but in in other parts of enterprise software over the last decade, you know, fifteen years or so, we've seen this trend um, to basically build point solutions that are extremely specialized to a certain function or, or subset of functions that hasn't necessarily happened in, in TMS yet. And I'd be curious, you know, you've built this organization here. Why has that not happened here? Why is it still considered to be end-to-end when you make a purchase, you know, you're, you're kind of buying the operating system for your trucking company, your brokerage, what have you? Is there something specific about this, this world?
1: Well, uh, I realized another realization early on um, was the fact that there were going to be multiple sources uh, of, uh, for information that would be needed to run trucking and transportation. Um, at, you know, at an early site, I remember coming into an office and seeing two or three uh, of the big um, uh, monitors sitting on a, on a desk. Uh, And, you know, they took up an enormous amount of space. They weren't the nice flat screen monitors we have these days. (laughs) Um, And the reason that uh, the three monitors were there was there was three different sources of information that this um, person in operations needed. And, of course, the systems were not integrated at the time. Yeah. And uh, it, it dawned on me that an important principle of information system was to get all the information that was needed for, you know, transportation professionals to do their job into one system so that they could see it all in the same place. Yeah, they weren't going to be able to keep adding monitors and stacking them up and and having that uh, work very well. And that really became a very important principle for our system architecture and important design goal really for everything that we've done. And even the point solutions that we're seeing today, and a lot of them, you know, revolve around mobile apps, uh, ultimately what the company wants is for that to be integrated into their main system. And so we're rapidly developing API sets. Of course, we've been developing uh, mobile apps of our own for um, seven or eight years now. Um, You know, we've been doing things with websites since 97. You know, we didn't go out and, and start a separate company. But uh, we've really focused on the idea that ultimately, where uh, um, the companies need the information to be is is integrated into a central system, uh, and that's that's one way we can give better decision support by you know bringing up the right information, putting that in front of a person making a decision, helping helping them make better decisions and run better companies.
0: So you know, the the company's thirty five years old almost now. Um, and you've maintained a leadership pole position in, in transportation management software, but you know, what's allowed you to do that, to, to endure through cycles, right? You, you mentioned kind of the, the dot com era you've seen, you know, the establishment of, of mobile and not a lot of businesses can say that they've endured the ups and downs as consistently through that period of time. But, you know, what is it? Is it in the people, the leadership, the culture? Is it the product, your customers? Maybe it's all of it. But what's allowed that?
1: Well, of course, the short answer I like to give is, you know, great leadership and great
0: management. But
1: uh, (laughs) yeah, tell me more. uh, But really, uh, you know, the two big factors I I would point to uh, is we have had great people that have come in and, uh, you know, stay with the company for a long time, very bright. Uh, people doing uh, the software development and design work, uh, very service-oriented people that have uh, really served our customers well. And it's really the organization that has uh, made things go. We didn't we didn't start out in a leadership position. You know, uh, there were probably 60 or 80 or a hundred other small consulting companies scattered throughout the country uh, that uh, had the idea to do a um, trucking software product. Back at the same time frame, we got started um, by the early nineties. I was trying to find some way can you know can we you know can we elevate uh, what we're doing and get some attention and you know out of this uh, really several dozen companies that were also uh, writing software for the trucking and transportation. So thankfully, uh, we were able to do that. And and one thing that helped us uh, there was an acquisition uh, in the mid nineties that helped us get some visibility. Uh, jumped our install base up to 200 sites Uh, most of the local and regional software companies uh, you know kind of got stuck around the 100 uh, 100 Mm -hmm. level and that you know at the time put us into the top three and uh, we've been able to build on that uh, success but in addition to that we've we've had great customers Um, that's that's really this the second and maybe the most important factor is we've had customers that have been loyal and they've stayed with us they've pushed us in the right direction yeah. we've been able to respond um and um you know somewhat keep up with the needs you know computer software is just built on imaginations very difficult to keep up with everyone's imagination yeah. but um uh, we've been able to uh, you know stay up um with with the industry uh, and, and again, thanks to the input and, and direction from our customers.
0: How have you, as you've grown, I, I, I like that, that, you know, software ultimately can be driven by imagination, but, you know, we we operate businesses, we try to build businesses. How have you been able to maintain a culture that listens to the customer, stays innovative, but also thinks about the economics of it all coming together? Because sometimes those can be in conflict.
1: That's true. Um, uh, you know, i um, say that our number one rule of business is that you have to spend less than you take in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the number two rule is you have to do what you say you're going to do. You've got to make commitments, and you've got to keep those commitments. And occasionally, that means you got to spend more than it uh, than you took in uh, on an original commitment. The um, uh, confidence that your that our customers have in us that we'll deliver and um you know follow through on on the promises that we make that's the only form of uh, security that we have uh that's 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 what engenders the loyalty certainly we have to um you know know what we're doing and uh, deliver the things that uh, help our customers meet the needs of their customers and run better uh, operations uh, but um the um you know you know establishing that as our core principle and then holding people accountable to that uh is an important part of um you know uh, keeping the company viable and um serving our customers well
0: yeah so you know kind of shifting a bit here over the last four or five years or so we've seen increased activity from what we you know dub startups um you know, taking a look at other industries that might be industry, uh, interesting, uh, where there might be opportunity, and our world has been something that increasingly has seen more interest. There's been more capital, more new business formation. Um, I'd be curious from, from your vantage point, what are these founders who might be in a similar position you were back in the 80s when you were building your company here, be doing right? And where might they not be doing as great, and might need to kind of rethink, reevaluate their their strategy or, or idea or way of operations?
1: Well, um, again, the disruption creates opportunity, and uh, some of the new companies coming in have, have taken advantage of disruptive uh, technologies. And I use the example of uh, mobile apps, and uh, it is remarkable the amount of capital that's been uh, invested in, in several companies that have come in um, some of them with fairly simple uh, apps that uh, but it it's also interesting to me that they're built on the most of them are built on the idea of connectivity and pulling together information from multiple sources and, and I think that's a, a good principle and uh, something that's helped make uh, you know a lot of those systems go uh, it seems like there's probably you know more, than the industry needs or, or will support uh, long term we, we've just seen a um, an astounding number of companies for example enter the mobile communications arena with with a mobile app <laughs> and um, some of them uh, um, I think maybe have overestimated um, the the total size of the market but some of them are serve, serving markets outside the class 8 fleets which is you know where we've uh, confined our uh, development and services uh, to this point mm-hmm. um, but ultimately all of those um, point solutions the, you know the customer and even the providers want that integrated into you know the overall platform yeah and so we've worked uh, very hard to be that platform we've uh, building out a robust set of api's that allow that uh, integration uh, to take place and so uh, you know over time we expect to you know see that more and more
0: so you know on on, on the subject of, of APIs, when I was first introduced to the industry four or five years ago, um, they weren't ubiquitous. Uh, EDI was more common. Uh, even today, they're not as, as kind of commonplace, but I know you've struck a partnership with P44 that you continue to build on. But, you know, given everything's centered around connectivity and, and your software's almost the nerve center, if I might use that um, analogy, what do you think gets API to be the standard? How do we truly make EDI something of the past? Is there a path? Is it, is it something to do with customers, technology? What what would be your opinion on that? I'd be curious. Well, uh,
1: API is actually widely used at this point. Uh, that's our... I, I think this may be our um, sole method of integration with new mobile communication providers, uh, with new, um, you know, fuel service transaction providers um, almost any uh, other entity that's got some product or service or information, you know, uh, you know, where integration is a requirement now in terms of um, the format for uh, load tendering and shipment status and billing, Yeah, that's continued to be, um, you know, the EDI uh, format. Um, I went to my first EDI seminar in 1988, and EDI has been on a steady increase ever since. Um, I've I've heard the death of EDI predicted several times along the way. Um, You know, first, the Internet Mm -hmm. was going to kill EDI. That was going (laughs) to. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I don't know where that idea came from, but, uh, you know, of course what the internet did was, uh, simplify the communications required for EDI transactions, uh, to get transferred. Yeah. Uh, then XML was going to kill EDI. And in fact, there was an organization called EBXML, electronic business XML, that tried to develop the standards and formats. Uh, XML certainly is a, um, more forgiving and flexible, um, format, um, and that's often what we use you know with API interfaces, so XML's gotten incorporated there. yeah, but the group never could establish the standards. They never could come up with the the standards and the work they did was really never adopted uh, anywhere once once EDI's up and running the, um, the especially the large shippers that have that in place, been an enormous amount of work for them to change. so there's a tremendous amount of inertia there. But the other thing about it is, uh, you know, the EDI standards. A lot of work went into those, and uh, there is a lot of uh, flexibility within the EDI format. It's it's not forgiving if you you know disobey some of the rules. But once once it's up and running, it's actually very reliable and very robust. And um, while I, as I mentioned, we we have never seen. A decrease in the amount of EDI activity, and it's continued to grow. And in fact, this past year, to my amazement, I believe it's up 50% in terms of our wow. uh, EDI. you know, this is the ANSI edifact EDI, you know, classical format. Yeah. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, companies that are implementing, um, you know, this this type of format, so I think the you know the EDI. You know, it's going to be here for a while. There's other promising technologies, Uh, blockchain, um, if we can get, and we're working to help define formats there. Um, That uh, has promised to show the uh, visibility and provide the, uh, you know, transaction formats that could begin to, um, uh, you know, take away some of the new implementations that otherwise might go EDI but first we've got to agree on the formats and then get the participation and buy-in from all players in the supply chain
0: sure and you know you've you've built a large business you've you've lived the business you've been able to introduce technology to stakeholders who might have realized they needed it didn't fully understand to what extent or might have needed to go through the education process to to ultimately Uh, put in the the TMS that you and the team have built over the years but as a as a leader in the industry and navigating through all of this is there a truth that you feel strongly about that maybe others are unaware of or dismiss or you know might say I that's false I just simply don't believe in it
1: well there are a lot of um I guess details a lot of small things that um companies otherwise seem to ignore um for one thing transportation i mentioned it's a relatively small market um you know there's several thousand prospective companies but there's not several million prospective companies the way they are in some other uh, markets but even within the several thousand uh companies that you know ultimately would be candidates for um, our product there are many sub niche markets uh, within this single vertical market, um, you know, short haul versus long haul, uh, flatbed, van refrigerated, uh, regional carriers, dedicated carriers, private fleets, just a wide variety of needs uh, because our customers serve a wide variety of requests uh, from their customers. And that makes it difficult to um, you know, address the market or come out with a version one product because um, these days it's complicated and people you know expect a lot from their system. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the trucking set, we really have two primary markets. One would be the trucking, and one is freight brokerage. Um, and the trucking market, uh, it's a larger market. There's more trucking companies, uh, but it's more complicated. Um, you've got to keep up with. ELD hours and help with the planning process and keep up with every loaded and empty move of the tractor and trailer and where the where is the tractor where is the trailer at all times Um, you know a lot goes into that as opposed to the freight brokerage side which just show me the pickup and delivery location how much we're going to pay the carrier and I'm done with that transaction and we have seen other entrants into the you know freight brokerage market um, here in the last few years if comp- companies tried are you know trying to establish some market share um, you know in, in that uh, market but uh, we're not seeing a whole lot, lot of people wanting to tackle the very very complicated uh, and fragmented uh, trucking industry that, so that's you know been to our benefit to continue to extend that Thankfully our some of the software architecture decisions we made years ago are standing at some very good Instead, and really helping us to continue to extend the product and meet the needs of our
0: customers. And you know, for for our listeners, you offer and, and there's TMS product for the the trucking industry carriers as well as the the freight brokerage industry. So just wanted to clarify that. But that then kind of shifts me to uh, what I might call rapid fire here and. um you know, there's now uh, a lot of entrances, as you stated in in brokerage, um, Amazon being one of them, you know, there's Convoy, there's Uber. But you know, I'd be curious to kind of hear your quick take on what Amazon now becoming a logistics provider might mean for all of the industry stakeholders you
1: know you mentioned tms i want to make a comment there yeah that's a term we didn't hear for the first 15 years <laughs> um and then when it began to be used we said what's tms what are they talking about and it turns out that's our corporate company initials tom mcleod software so we thought that's think that's a great <laughs> we think maybe that that could be part of the origination uh there but tms is most often used uh f- you know from a shipper oriented. Uh, system that, that helps them manage their outbound freight and manage the carriers uh, and over time it's kind of gotten transferred into what we do which, which is helping the carrier and the freight broker manage uh, you know, what they're doing. In terms of Amazon and some of these other providers entering the market uh, as, fr- as freight brokerage or you know freight management uh, companies um, important I think to keep uh, that in perspective um, again tremendously fragmented market um you know someone has pointed out that uber brought you know half a million you know additional vehicles into the taxi cab market with their ride sharing but they've brought in zero um you know class 8 trucks um you know to the market with what they're doing there uh amazon's still doing um, half the business that walmart's doing um projected this year um walmart has a fleet of 6,000 trucks it would it would be natural for amazon to want to move you know a certain portion of their you know freight themselves and a big part of what amazon is focusing on is on is the last mile portion they've made an enormous commitment to buy delivery vans and to set that network up uh and this is replacing consumer trips to the store so it's you know in terms of trucking or transportation it's really a pure growth uh, play or, or if anything, you know, could compete with uh, UPS and FedEx, you know, who offer the, uh, you know, package delivered to the consumer.
0: And, you know, on the subject of trucks, you know, what are your thoughts on autonomy? We've seen, you know, long haul, there's stuff in, in last mile, we even see kind of middle mile within yards would be curious to, to hear what you think about just that entire concept and, and trend.
1: Um, yeah, we've been w- watching and um, looking at the autonomous movement uh, now for some time. I bought what I call a Daimler passenger vehicle several years ago, and it had many of the uh, driver assist features uh, that made me realize, wow, shortly these vehicles will be able to drive themselves autonomously. And certainly that's come coming um to the commercial vehicles and will be really a big benefit in in many ways it's, it's something that will be phased in uh initially i believe on long haul ap- um uh, movements along interstate highways you know uh, limited access uh before it moves out and so the planning systems uh to enable that will need to be more and more sophisticated mm-hmm. uh when we transmit the um load information to a an autonomous vehicle it's got to be very precise in terms of a pickup location a delivery location it has to be carefully monitored uh you know along the route we've got much of that built into our system right now we have conversations underway with all of the major uh, truck truck makers uh to help be be sure we're part of the uh uh, conversation and and we'll be able to help to uh, bring about this this very promising technology
0: yeah and then uh, lastly, w- what does the TMS of the future look like? What does it need? Is it significantly different? You alluded to some of that just now. but Yeah, I, you know,
1: I, the, the two words that I uh, think you know, best describe it would be uh, connectivity and visibility. You know, uh, it, it, we need to continue to extend the connections that we have for all, all available information, um ha- have the system um make better and better recommendations for decisions some of those decisions may be able to be uh, automated mm-hmm. uh you know machine learning and artificial intelligence will play a role uh, but we agree that uh the the human element is going to be um you know necessary and important for the foreseeable future but having the right information in front of the people involved will will help uh Operations become uh, more and more efficient, and um, you know the movement of freight more and more visible uh, to all the you know interested parties, uh, so that we've got a, a system that really achieves maximum efficiency.
0: And on on the machine learning part, you're you're actively investing in that, building the talent, the awareness internally. Would be curious how you see that fit in. Um, you know, is it in, in the routing, or there other things that you're, you know, viewing that competency to be really important in as you think of the future.
1: Yeah, the routing piece is um, pretty much there. You know, there are um, several providers providing you know, optimal routes and real-time traffic and weather. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't, you know, um, achieved widespread use for all of those elements throughout the industry yet, but uh, that's, that's available now. Um In terms of making decisions on uh, freight and on pricing, um, again, getting back to the principle of you, to be uh, solvent, you've got to spend less than you take in. Ultimately, uh, even though there can be some single load exceptions, uh, more and better uh, recommendations for the system as to you know how to price loads, uh, which loads to take, um, you know how to respond to the uh you know uh, bid requests that you get from the shippers, All of those pricing decisions is is where many companies are growing in their sophistication, and um, the ones that figure that out will you know be be the winners in tomorrow's marketplace sure sure
0: with that, Tom, it's a pleasure having you uh on the show here, hosting us here uh down in Birmingham. And uh, look forward to continue to see what you and the McLeod team uh, build. Cheers. All right, Santosh. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.